The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. So I wonder if I did a survey what the results would be if I asked you to kind of rank on a scale of positive or negative connotations. What do you have when you hear about the law? I mean, do you think, man, yeah, it's all about the law, and law is very important, very positive connotations, and you want to take a, a, a little structure of mock Ten Commandments and put it in your garden, and you, you want to fight for the Ten Commandments being in the courthouses, because you understand the law is very important. Or maybe you're on the other end of the, of the spectrum, and you say, you know what, we're all about grace, You know, we're not under law, we're under grace. And so you really give very little credence to the law or you're not really even sure what the law is. And and so there's a vast difference among believers and their view of the law. We really have a hard time oftentimes thinking about what do we do with the law? And we've been seeing over the last uh, several months, Paul in the book of Romans, we've been studying through Romans. We took a pause for a couple of weeks at Christmas time, but... We've been seeing in the book of Romans, Paul has been giving us an in-depth explanation of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anytime you're going to discuss in depth the gospel, you're going to have to discuss the law. You're going to have to understand the good news as part of the message of the good news is as it relates to the law. What is the good news? Well, you start out with the bad news, right? The bad news is nobody is making themselves right with God by obeying the law. No one is able to do that. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself change from unrighteous to righteous by keeping the law. And so a big part of the gospel is this seemingly negativity towards the law. And so we start to wrestle with that because then we see in other places, we're going to see in today's verses and in the verses next week, that the law is God's law. The law is said to be spiritual and good. And so we say, okay, wait a minute. I thought we just finally, Paul finally got us convinced that the law is bad. And now he's going to go talk about the importance of the law. And so we have a lot of misunderstanding or a lot of doubt about how to think about the law. In fact, what we've been seeing is a lot of negative descriptions of the law or what seems to be negative. Paul, in chapter 4, verse 15 of Romans, said that the law works wrath. And we're going, okay, that's not good. And then we see in chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said the law actually increases trespasses. Well, how can that be something good? And then just a few verses ahead of our text today... In Romans 7, 5, Paul says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. He says that we're work in our members of our body to bear fruit unto death. He says the law actually aroused sinful passions. And so how can this be good? So this begs the question that Paul asks in our text today. Look at verse 7 of chapter 7. Paul asks, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Or is the law bad? Is the law evil? Is the law sin? I mean, isn't that a good question? If we've been listening to Paul, then that's the logical question to ask. Well, then, is the law bad? Because 
What I'm hearing is I can't be made right with God by keeping the law. I can't be made right with God by my sheer will of obeying the commands of scriptures or the Ten Commandments. And so is the law sin? Paul quickly answers in the same verse. He continues, may it never be. Absolutely not. The law is not sin. The law is not bad. May it never be. And then he goes on the contrary. And then in the rest of our passage today, Paul explains three very important blessings of the law. And that's what we're going to look at today in our verses in chapter 7, 7 through 13. We're going to look at three very important blessings of the law. So no, the law doesn't do any good in you becoming righteous with God in the sense that you can't keep the law. You, you don't go through the scriptures and write down all the commands and say, if I could just keep all these commands... I'll be right with God. That's not how it works. And that's what Paul has been saying. It's not through a righteousness that you earn through keeping the law, self-righteousness or moralism. It's not done that way. It's a gift of God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And so now he's starting to turn with the question, well, if if the law doesn't make us right with God, then what, what is the law for Is it sin? No. On the contrary, we're going to look at three great blessings of the law. So I hope that we, that God will help us today to understand the great blessings of the law, or you could say the commands or the word of God in our life. And so let's look first of all, in verse 7, he says, the law reveals sin as sin. That's the first thing it does. The law reveals sin as sin. Sin. Look at verse 7, the second part. Paul says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So at the very basic level, and that's what this passage does. This passage creates a progression that happens when the law meets the sinful human heart. The first thing we see the law does, the first blessing that Paul says the law does when it meets the human heart that says, let me label clearly for you what is sin. And so the law reveals sin as sin. It's already sin, but the law is now revealing sin and saying, here, this is sin. In Romans 5 verse 13, Paul has basically already said this same thing. He said in 5.13, For until the law, sin was in the world already, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And so he says, listen, there was already sin going on before Moses gave Israel the Ten Commandments and the, the following laws that followed. Listen, sin was already here since Adam. It's not that sin created, it's not that the law created sin. It's just that the law labeled sin as sin. The law said, okay, you see that? That's sin. Now, this is a tremendous blessing. It's, it's hunting season. And, and so hunters can really get this analogy that when you're walking in the woods and if, if, if your neighboring property owner has not, if y'all have not clearly delineated the boundaries of your property with posted signs and a fence, it's hard to know if you are trespassing. It's hard to enjoy the, the shooting of a massive 12-point 
walking down the property line. And you're like, ah, do I take it or not? Is this mine or is this his? And if the fence is there, it has been clearly labeled, this is trespassing if you cross this line. Now, that doesn't mean, well, gosh, I can't enjoy hunting anymore. No, it frees you to enjoy the full expanse of your property. Because you know what you're dealing with. You know where the property line, you know where it's posted. You know, if I cross that line, I am sinning. I am trespassing. I have no rights to be over there. And so it gives you a freedom to enjoy what is proper for you to enjoy. And so there's great blessing in the law saying, this is sin. And so Paul wants us to know that one of the great blessings is that the law reveals the will of God. The law makes clear to us what God's path for us is. When Deuteronomy tells us that Moses gave the law, he said this is the way of God's life and blessing. So when the law labels sin for us, the law is making clear for us God's perfect will. This is why the psalmist In Psalm 119, verses 105 and following says this. These are the things that the psalmist says about the law of God. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. He says, I do not forget your law. do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So the writer of Psalms says, I know that it is good because the law reveals my path. The law reveals, shines a light on the path that God wants for me. Now, Paul illustrates the point with coveting. Paul says coveting is something that that was at the root of his life. What is coveting? Coveting is at the root of all kinds of sin. Coveting is a lack of contentment in God. Coveting is a lack of contentment in what God has given us to the point that we now covet. We want to possess what others have or what we do not have. At Christmas time, this one hits us right hard, doesn't it? I mean, you think you're happy as can be until all of a sudden you start making your Christmas list. And you realize how miserable you were until Christmas came around, right? I mean, all of a sudden, I, I don't how was I ever happy without these things? And coveting is... is It's not visible. It's not the actual act of stealing. Stealing is birthed by coveting. A a unhappiness and a a bad attitude and a a downcast spirit is birthed by coveting. It's, it's, It's something that you can't see and touch and feel, but it's very real. It's sin and it's there. And Paul says, I wouldn't even known that it was there. I wouldn't even known about the concept of coveting. I would have just been miserable my whole life. I would have just constantly, constantly been looking for satisfaction and something else had it not been labeled as coveting. And so Paul says it's a great blessing not to remain and waller in our ignorance about sin. It's a great blessing to have the label put on it as, hey, this is sin. This is contrary to the will of God, to the will of God. James says that this coveting gives birth to all kinds of sin. It's good to know that. It's good that the Lord reveals that 
so that we can delight in his ways and we can call it sin and we can identify it as sin. This is true for all the commands of scriptures for us. We must not turn the commands of scriptures into a ladder that we try to climb to make ourselves right with God. When we read about God giving Israel the Ten Commands, we don't, first of all, negative, we say, like Paul, we negatively, we don't take this as a way of making ourselves right with God. But, is it evil? Is it bad? May it never be. On the contrary, these things are great blessings because in them they contain the wisdom of God. It shines a light onto the path for us. It becomes the curbs of God's will for our lives so that we can stay out of the ditches. It's a great blessing to know this is sin. I shall not trespass this boundary. So the first thing the law does is reveals sin as sin. The second thing the law does is the law reveals sinfulness within. It reveals sin is sin and it reveals the sinfulness within us. I get this in verses 8 through 11. Look at what he says in verse 8. Paul explains what happens when the sinful heart meets God's good law. He says that before the law was there, there was sin in the heart and it's lying dormant. He calls it dead and it helps to understand what he's saying here. It gets confusing with the language, but the idea is there's sin that's lying dormant in the human heart. And when the law comes, he says, the law reveals that sinfulness that's in our heart that's been lying dormant. He says, but sin... Taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. It's important to know that what he's saying is apart from the law, before the commandment came, before the law came, there was sinfulness. In this case, he's using the example of coveting. He says, listen, there was the sin of coveting in my heart, but it was dormant. It was hibernating, if you will. It's like a sleeping grizzly that's ferocious and violent. And it's laying there sleeping, but not unawares, but sleeping to build up strength for when it wants to raise its ugly head. And so Paul says that this sinfulness in the human heart is lying, hibernating, building up strength until the law comes and shakes it and says, do not covet. And it wakes the vicious beast of the sinful heart. So it exposes and it reveals the sinfulness or the sin within. He continues to explain the process in verse 9. He says, I once was alive. You ever thought, man, I felt more alive before I became a Christian. I thought being a Christian was supposed to be the key to life. Well, you were dead. You just thought you were alive, right? You see, we don't even realize our sinfulness. We don't even realize that we're... There's a great book by Ed Wells called A Banquet in the Grave. And it's describing addictions, that there's a party and it's a banquet. But what we don't realize when we're captured by addictions is that we're having a banquet but the banquet table is set up inside a grave 
And so there's this feeling of being alive, being perfectly fine, feeling free to live however I want to live because I don't have any restricted laws. I don't have religion. I don't have all this binding me down. Man, I am alive. Why would I need Jesus and all these rules? And the scripture says that that Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came... Sin came alive. When the commandment came, it woke the sin beast within his heart. And the sin beast rose up and he saw the wickedness, the sinfulness in his response to the law that says, this is God's good and perfect will for your life. And in his heart, he said, I hate it. I don't want to hear that. So in our reaction to the giving of the law or the reading of the commands in the scriptures, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If what you see coming out of you is a hatred for the law, is a disgust for the commands, we're seeing the sinfulness that is laying dormant within our heart. But what do we do with that? Same thing Adam and Eve did, blame I hate that preacher. He's always pointing his finger at me. I can't believe he mentioned give money to the church this time of year, right before the end of the year. We don't like to hear it. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. I mean, that is just human nature. Nobody teaches us as kids to hate that. We just grow up hating it. And we just let it flourish if we're not careful. So Paul's language can be a bit confusing. But the main idea here is that the law reveals the sinfulness within a person when you see their reaction to and rebellion against the law. It's our human nature. As soon as you're told you can't do something, what happens? Oh, that's exactly what I want to do. I better not pick on someone, but I'll just keep it general. It's like at Christmas time, you see something, and it's on sale, and you're like, well, I don't really, I'm not sure that's really as good as, I'm just not sure I want it. But if it was like $100 more, gosh, that's exactly the one I wanted. There is just something about the price that makes us think that is more valuable, right? I mean, it's human nature. Don't do that. That's exactly what I want to do now that I can't do that. And so we see the law reveals what's in our hearts. In verse 10, he goes on and says, And this commandment, which is good and beautiful, which was to result in life. The whole point of it is to give life. But when it doesn't produce life and godliness and blessings, instead it produces this death. It proved to result in death for me. Why is that? Is that because the law is bad? No, it's because it's revealing the sin that's within And so in verse 11, he says, For sin is taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying the law is good. Now, you can't climb a ladder of commands to make yourself right with God, but don't mistakenly think that because of that, the law is bad. It's not bad. It's good. It labels sin as sin. It says, here's my will for you, God says. Don't do this. Don't do this. Stay out of these ditches. This is a great will for you. This is my plan for you. And then it says, now, 
Watch your reaction to that law. When you hear this is sin, don't do this, and all it does is rise up for you a desire to go on the other person's property and kill his deer, it's like, oh, there's, there's a problem within. So the law reveals sin is sin. The law reveals the sin within. And finally, we see the law reveals the sinfulness of sin. The law reveals just how sinful sin is. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, kind of summarizing, he says, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, may it never be. The law was not the cause of death. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin. Well, if sin only, if it doesn't make you right with God, if you can't keep these commands to be made right with God, then why all the commands? Why the law? Well, it labels sin. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't do me any good. Yeah, it does. It shows you the sinfulness. Well, what good is it? Why do you want to show me the sinfulness within? He says, because I want you to see that sin so that though the so that through the commandment sin would become or be seen as utterly sinful so that you would see sin see the sin within and call it sin and hate it and repent of it and turn from it and seek a savior who can give you victory over it so that's what Paul is saying the law is not the problem sin is the problem The law reveals the utter sinfulness of sin. And so now we see the full progression. The good spiritual law of God meets the sinful heart, which does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the sinful heart is is sinful and it's sinning before it met the law. But when the law comes, the law shines the light on the darkness and reveals sin, calls it sin, says this is utterly sinful Therefore, the sinfulness of the heart is revealed. And so instead of producing life as the law was intended, sin brings about only death. But it's not because the sin, not because the law was a problem, but because of what sin does with the law. I loved one example. I think it was, uh, I read it this week. I think it was John Piper who said it's like the law is a scalpel of a surgeon. The scalpel is in and of itself, a wonderful tool in the hands of a surgeon to bring about life. But what the law does is it grabs that scalpel and turns it into a weapon and cuts the throat. The scalpel's not bad. It's what the person did with it. And so the sinful heart takes the good, beautiful, spiritual law of God, which is to say, here is the path of life and blessing. And the sinful heart takes it and cuts the head. And says, no. And so it's utterly sinful to see just how wicked, how sinful sin is. And so the law or the commands of scriptures, they force sin to rear its ugly head. It forces sin to come out of its sleeping. It forces sin to show its true colors so that we can no longer justify no longer cover up or make excuses, no longer blame others. The law, the word of God, the commands of scriptures are a mirror early in the morning showing just how ugly we are. 
And we got to do some changing. We got to do some changing. And so that's what the Word of God does for us. And what we see, this is exactly what happened in the garden. If you look at the story of the garden, we see that's what happened. God had a great plan for him. He has blessed him with everything. And then he gives his law. You say, well, the law didn't come till Moses. Yeah, but it came in the form of a command. Do enjoy life and blessing, eternal life, and all that I've given you. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with worshipers. It's all yours. Enjoy it. Do and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's the boundaries. Trust me and obey me. And that's the path of blessing. What they do? They send. Sin took that law and said, wait a minute, don't tell me I can't eat of that tree. In the form of the serpent, the story of the scriptures tells us, comes up, did God really say that? You think God's really got good in store for you? God's holding out on you because he knows that if you eat that, you will be just like God. And so the heart reveals the sinful desires to come raising its ugly head, and then it takes it and disobeys. But what was revealed when they disobeyed? The only thing God was holding out on them was shame. And all they had after that, all they gained was shame and blame. They start blaming each other. They're ashamed. For the first time, they see their nakedness. That shows us the shame of sin is all that it brought. But God graciously pursued them in His grace. Sacrifices an animal, covers their nakedness with skin. Here we see the earliest pictures of the gospel. We see the same thing with Israel. The rest of the story of the Bible, is of the Old Testament, is God showing us the same thing is the story of Israel. God, through Moses, gave Israel, here's my good law. In Deuteronomy, when He gave them the law, He said, he said uh, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity. He's talking about the Ten Commandments and then all the Levitical laws and then all the, the laws for all the people. It's about four of your first, it's, it's three of your first five books, just about all of that. He says, listen, I set this before you for life. I set this for prosperity and for death and adversity. You're, here's, the, here's, here's the difference. You want life and prosperity or death and adversity. It all hinges on what you do with my law, God said to them. In verse 16, And that I command you today, love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Do you hear it's the same language of the garden? Again, if you want to experience my blessings for your life, it's a new year. New Year's resolutions is all about life and prosperity in 2016. I've got a secret. It's in keeping the word of God. Amen. It's that simple. It's the story of the Bible, the story of Adam Eve, the story of Israel is every one of our story. Life and blessing hinges on trusting God enough that you obey God. That's the beauty of the word of God is that it shows us this is sin, this is not. This is sin, this is the path of life and prosperity. Walk in it, treasure it, see it as beautiful. 
Experience the will of God for your life. This is what I want for you. Not because I don't want you to have fun. Not because I don't want you to be happy. It's the opposite. Now don't mistake it. It doesn't make you right with God. You're only made right with God by faith in the one who was perfect. And that's Jesus. But as believers, we know the word of God, the commands of God, present for us the will of God and the path of life and blessing. And so we should treasure it with all of our heart. So this is what God's word does for us. This is what God wants for all of us. And I wonder how many people, got a lot of guests here today visiting your family. That's a beautiful thing. I don't want anyone to leave here today without treasuring Christ as Savior. I mean, what a glorious gift. God says you can't make yourself right. And what you and I deserve, and I'm the chief of sinners, what I deserve and what every one of us deserves is to be completely separated from God. We've turned our back on Him. We're running from Him. And He comes and jumps in front of us and says, Receive me. Let me embrace you. Look at the will of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And what comes up when you hear that? He says, if it's not, yes, embrace him. That's sin. And praise God that you're seeing it. And he says, and when you see that, call it sin. See the sinfulness of it. And and embrace Christ who paid the price for that sin. And so today, I pray every single person here is trusting only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin so that he did not inherit the sin of man. He lived the perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for sin. That's why he died on the cross. And he rose again demonstrating he truly is God and has the power to forgive you of your sins. And then as a a child of God, you walk in his ways and experience the path that he wants for you. What a glorious gift. I pray that no one leaves here today without trusting Christ as Savior and treasuring his word as the great blessing for your life this year. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, I pray that your spirit will bring conviction and faith and life all over this room this morning. I pray that you will bring salvation to those who have never trusted you as Savior. I pray, Lord, that those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, the one only one who fulfilled the law, kept the law perfectly and, and makes us and declares us righteous. Lord, I pray that those of us who trust Christ also treasure his word and see the commands of scripture not as a ladder of achieving your love, not as a ladder of achieving righteousness, but as a beautiful gift that presents for us and lays out before us the path of blessing and glory to your name. Lord, I pray that this year, 2016, will be a massive year for our church of growth, spiritual growth by new people coming and coming to know you as Savior and coming to praise you and to walk in the newness of life. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us and through us, that each one of us would see ourselves as missionaries, that each one of us will be inviting others 
to church, to lunch, after church, to just be friends and to show them Christ and to talk to them about Christ. There's so many people who want to know the path of prosperity and blessing. Help them to know it's found only in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.